0: The wonderful thing, the mystery of radio is, is that you use your imagination to create the pictures in your own mind.
1: I'm Gary Thompson, and here at Playback, we are banking on the fact that less is more, especially when it comes to visuals. It's summer. It's 1988. It's hot. There's only one thing to do.
2: I'm out in the ocean, floating on my back. Nothing hurts. Nothing matters.
1: That Scott Carrier. He'll take us to the beach in Ocean City, Maryland. And Ira Glass discovers the peculiar togetherness of road trips.
3: I like to imagine the interstate highway system as a vast, rolling therapy session.
1: It's our special summertime fun edition of Playback. Okay, so it's July 1988. The Democratic Convention in Atlanta, Georgia is in full swing. And Michael Dukakis, the Duke, has just accepted the nomination from the Democrats. Man on the Street reporter Mal Sharp was inside the convention hall. He was there looking for answers to his questions that the rest of the news media had neglected.
4: Well, the voting has just gone over the top here and everybody is really excited. How are you doing? Excited about this?
5: Really excited. Why? Because he's gonna be the next president of the United States.
4: What's your favorite fish?
5: My favorite fish? Yes. Salmon. Salmon.
4: Okay, good talking to you. Pandemonium raining here. There's a lady. How you doing?
0: Great. Terrific. Are you
4: excited about this?
0: I'm
1: very excited. Why? Well, because uh, Michael Dukakis is going to make a great president. And uh-huh. it's time the Democrats took back the White House. Uh-huh.
4: What's your favorite fish?
6: <laughs> favorite fish.
4: Get out of here. What? Come on. What's your favorite fish?
6: Fish. Uh. Huh? How
4: Caliban, okay. Well, people are going nuts here. She dropped all her signs. How you doing? How
2: are you? This is a great day. Yeah, where you from?
4: Providence, Rhode Island. I'm chairman of the Rhode Island delegation. Ah, my father was born in Providence. It's America's best city. It really is. Ah, the question on everyone's mind, what's your favorite fish? I don't eat fish. Huh? I don't eat fish. What? I don't eat fish. Why? I don't like it. You don't like fish? Yeah, I mean, isn't this sad? I mean, it's so American to eat fish, especially if you're a New Englander. I don't eat fish. Well, how about just lying about a favorite fish? I don't lie. Oh God, this is awful. I don't know. You know, I always ask this question when there's a nomination, and it's something about it. What's your favorite fish? Okay, we're gonna keep moving here.
7: good anyway, it's, What's a that? Ha- it's a happy question at a time like
0: this. It is a happy
4: question. Here's a lady from New Mexico. How you doing?
0: Ah, oh, no, I'm doing great. It's a wonderful night. Why? Because Mike Dukakis is going to be the next president of the United States of America. Uh, and God knows we need him now.
4: All right, I want to wrap this thing up here. What's your favorite fish?
0: My favorite fish is Kafilta. Kafilta? Kafilta! What else in New Mexico?
4: Well, now, what is Kafilta fish? What's it made of?
0: Oh, I don't know, but it tastes so good. <laughs>
1: Satirist Harry Shear was also at the Democratic Convention. He noticed that delegates there reminded him of contestants on The Price is Right, wearing funny hats, jumping up and down, and shouting on cue.
8: Every four years, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. This is Democrat Summer, the mini-series. Producers of the Miss America pageant and the Oscars join forces with the creative team behind Hunter and Lace Tube to bring you four unforgettable evenings. This time, the party doesn't go on all night. You'll howl at the antics of Jesse Jackson in the best of my week at Saturday Night Live. You'll be spellbound. Mike Dukakis and the Harvard Law School Players recreate the television classic The Advocates, the show that taught the paper Jays how to run. You'll feel the warmth of a very special Carter family reunion with extra special guest stars, the Allman Brothers reunion. You'll share the fun when Ted Kennedy takes a spin in Kit from the Night Rider. Don't touch the wheel, Senator. Let me handle it. <laughs> and you'll thrill to the majesty of the swimsuit competition. The biggest show of the summer, and the politics is as light and refreshing as your favorite cooler. Even hot, hot, hot. You don't have to vote to enjoy Democrat Summer, the mini series. Watching television was always like this.
1: Whoa, there, okay. And now let's take it down a couple notches. NPR's Lynn Neary and Margot Adler. Have a little coffee chat about the precursor to what we know now as FaceTime. In 1988, the phenomenon was called videophones.
9: So, Margot, listen, there was this story this week that um, the Japanese are marketing this new kind of fo- telephone uh, that will send still video pictures while you're having a conversation. And they figure there's a market for this. They think that grandparents will like it or or businessmen or women who are on the road missing their families will like it. But, you know, I really have some questions about whether your basic average phone user wants to be able to see the person they're talking to or
0: wants to be seen. Well, you know, when I was a child, there were all these movies about video phones and you could see the other person. It was always a symbol of progress. It would It was where we would be in, you know, 2000 or something. But the more I think about it, the more I think that it's really a bad idea because there are all kinds of things that I do when I'm talking on the phone that I don't think I want anyone else to see. I sometimes massage my gums, sometimes standing right out from the shower, not wearing anything. I sometimes uh, am reading the newspaper or <laughs> perhaps I'm, you know, writing checks. Or I don't know, Margo, I think it might
9: be kind of fun to watch you massaging your
0: gums <laughs> while you're on the telephone. <laughs> well, it might be, but I'm not sure I want, uh, oh, I don't know, my editor calling or something like that as I'm massaging my gums. Kind of or not. I, it's kind of unprofessional. That's right. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> give the right image, right? This, this wonderful image of professionalism that we all try to court once in a while.
9: But there's something else. There's something else about phones, apart from embarrassing situations, uh, which is that um, I think there's an intimacy to a phone conversation that you would lose if you had pictures. I mean, I think of long distance calls that I've gotten late at night and you're wakened up at like two o'clock in the morning and you're really groggy and you pick up the phone and you don't even turn the lights on. And all of a sudden, You're connected to somebody clear across the world, and there's something really amazing about that. And I wouldn't want a picture to interfere with that sort of, I don't know, magical kind of moment that 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 can bring on the phone. Well, that's probably why people like telephone sex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But actually, (laughs) not that we've tried it, not that we would ever try it, but actually... The thing about the mystery you speak about when you're talking on the phone late at night is actually what radio is all about. Yeah, and uh, that's the great thing about radio. First of all, let's face it. I mean, we probably got into radio partly because we didn't want to be seen. That's right. That's right. It. I mean, I didn't want to be seen. And the wonderful thing, the mystery of radio is, is that you use your imagination to sort of build who that person is. You 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 create the pictures in your own mind, and. Uh, People have no idea what you look like and have no idea what you're wearing. For example, I could be wearing absolutely nothing here, absolutely nothing at all. I could be sitting in the studio, which would be very comfortable in hot weather, wearing absolutely nothing. Yeah, you could be. It's true. I could be, too, for that matter, I suppose. Yeah. Would you?
1: And then talk
9: on the radio? Yeah, and talk on the
1: radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it is summer, so the wearing nothing at all thing kind of makes sense.
2: You don't have to put on the red light. Those days are over. You don't have to your body to the night.
1: Roxanne. The big dry is how Time magazine described the summer of 1988. It was one of the most severe droughts the U.S. had seen in decades. Cowboy poet Baxter Black wrote a poem about it.
6: There's a fingernail moon hanging low in the sky. The crickets make small talk as he passes by. As the gentlest breeze stirs what's left of his hair, he scratches and sniffs it, but no moisture there. He stares at the field and remembers the year these same eighty acres paid the loan, free and clear. But these last thirty days have scared him to death. The dirt's as dry as a horny toad's breath. He called up his banker after supper tonight, and they talked for an hour. It's sure getting tight. And old Thelmer had kissed him and went on to bed, so he took a walk. "'thought it might clear his head. "'The doctor has told him he has to slow down. "'Sell out the home place and move into town. "'Move into town? "'What the hell would he do?' "'He shook off the thought and took a fresh chew. "'A bachelor cloud, thin as fog on a mirror, "'crossed over the moon and then disappeared.' He sniffs at the air that's still dry as a bone and takes one more look at the seeds that he's sown. He'll be back tomorrow if something don't change. Just hanging on, hoping, and praying for rain.
1: Cowboy poet Baxter Black. And now, Ira Glass, on the road again.
3: Holiday weekends are a time for long trips in the car, And something happens to conversation on those trips. Oh, it starts gradually enough. For the first hour on the road, you talk about work, about the people you know. Second hour, you get to slightly submerged hopes and fears. But around the third hour, you've exhausted all the things you normally talk about and enter into an uncharted conversational region, a verbal wilderness where anything can happen. Free associations, memories, wild speculation. You ask, why did you get divorced? Or, what do you want to be doing, anyway, in the year 2000? Car talk is different from normal talk. The most important difference? You're not looking directly at each other, into each other's eyes. You're looking ahead, at the road. And this can give you a kind of freedom, liberate you to take conversational chances, try out some new idea about yourself to see how it plays. You know, you say, the thing you've never realized about me is... Remember, in the car... Everybody's being hypnotized by that white line in the center of the highway anyway, so they're susceptible to suggestion. Of course, if you're fighting, the fights are a lot worse, compressed into the small space of a car. But I think it's healthier to see car talk as an opportunity, a chance for communion with someone else. I like to imagine the interstate highway system as a vast, rolling therapy session, where couples get together, like in those old Maxwell House commercials, over a late-night cup of coffee, to finally work things out. On the road, you're not where you live, and you're not where you're going. You're in a neutral place where something unexpected can happen.
1: Speaking of the unexpected, here's producer Scott Carrier. In the early 80s, he showed up at the doorstep of NPR with a bag of cassette tapes he had made while hitchhiking across the country. Here he is a few years later, with a travelogue of his trip to Ocean City, Maryland. Two
10: o'clock in the morning, Friday night, and I'm driving over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge halfway to the beach at the Atlantic Ocean. This bridge is long like a brontosaur's backbone, lit up like a runway, and I'm flying. I just got off work, spent my paycheck on four new steel radials and a tube of suntan lotion, and blasted off. It's like I've been released, let out, spread out, laid smooth out over the cool air coming up from the bay. I've got my sunglasses, a hat, a towel, six beers, and some orange juice. I'll buy pizza when I'm hungry and sleep out on the sand. Ocean City, Maryland, that's where I'm going. It's a thin city of condominiums, set between a seven-lane main highway and a boardwalk along the beach. It's got the biggest miniature golf course I've ever seen, and enough policemen to put down a mass riot or a foreign. It's kind of a crowded, strange place, but you can have a whole lot of fun there.
5: Ocean City is very, very dear to us, and we we had a lot of good times, a lot of good times, really.
9: When I came down as a teenager, uh, we stayed, we had, the Inn was the main place. They'd have dances on Saturday night, and the girls would all
5: be dressed up in evening dresses. And it was a gracious living. It was the time of gracious living. And the time they brought a maid along, that they would take care of the children. They went up on the beach, went out to dinner, but um, everything has changed. The young people have changed. I don't think they're as refined, as elegant, as gracious as they were in our days. I mean, well, the whole picture has changed.
7: Target lead. <laughs>
9: <laughs> it's wild. That's <laughs> not control yourself. Nice. Everyone parties every night. <laughs> but you
4: just you just hear about a party on 42nd Street or 86th Street or 72nd Street, and you go
9: there. And
2: yeah, we only live about maybe 100 miles from here. It's only about an hour, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes drive. So we come down on the weekends. We stay a night or two and check out what's going on down here because we live in. A that hick town, nothing's ever going on in Perryville, Maryland. It's about a population four or five, something like that. Maybe six people. What's your idea of
10: the ideal man?
5: A Puerto Rican. I think he should have blonde hair and bleeder or, or bleed, <laughs> green or blue eyes and dark skin and macho. <laughs> macho, he has to be. Real, real tight, but you know, real. <laughs> and, and ruin nice my leg muscles.
2: What, the women? They want it all, buddy. They
6: want it all, let me tell
5: you. <laughs> I can't, no. No, no. I mean, <laughs> these people are so-
2: Out in the ocean floating on my back I feel like a baby being rocked in a cradle nothing hurts nothing matters there's a plane flying over me dragging a banner that says fresh donuts daily and there's a and there's a boat cruising by carrying an electric sign like they have on the outside of banks that tells the water temperature the air temperature Follow the leader, he's on a Honda. The beach is crammed with bright red and orange umbrellas, shiny brown people, beautiful people, half asleep, on vacation.
5: Uh, These are clamshells, okay, and then we have our larger ones here for a dollar, and then we have our pieces of um, driftwood here, okay, and we used to have peanut people, but, you know, we all, they're gone now, so, you know, we can't do very much, okay, and then I have to paint all the shells myself, okay, Uh, I like this one mostly, it has a lot of gloss to it, Okay, now we didn't spray this one, except the letters, okay? And it has that real glossy sound feel inside. So, you know, it really really shows off the texture of it. We're going to have sandals pretty soon, and we're going to have conch shells, and we're going to carry a whole line of them, okay? And then I'm thinking about bleaching some oyster shells out, and, you know.
4: In other words, some people... For whatever reason will just go under and they don't come up again until you know until they wash wash up on the beach hours later or whatever you know um so that that's the kind of situation i think a lot of people a lot of people you know a lot of people have that idea that it's always once twice three times you know hey come on you got to come out and help me a lot of times they go under and that's the last you see them and you can have the most you can have top-notch guys And it still can happen.
5: I
6: come down here for every summer. What do you do? Oh, I sing like Elvis and all that. Yeah? They made a lot of um, uh, paper up by me because I sing like Elvis and all that. And I got about 10,000 fans all over the place. What's your name? Huh?
10: What's your name?
6: What
2: you need?
6: What? What you need? What, my name? Norman? It's a matter of
5: time, it's a matter of time before I go back down. A matter of time before I go home. It's a long way, I know. It's a long way, I know. And the boy it ain't any. She'll see me again, it's a matter of time, she'll see me, I know, it's a matter of time.
10: Five o'clock Sunday afternoon, and I'm stuck in a traffic jam that stretches 150 miles from Ocean City to Washington. I feel like an old dry rag, dehydrated, sand embedded in my scalp. I'm tired and hungry, and I have to go to work tomorrow along with everyone else in this endless line of cars. I can't bear thinking about it.
1: A week or two in July that summer, Ira Glass hosted All Things Considered. Here he interviews Simon Jeffs of the Penguin Cafe Orchestra.
3: One day in England, Simon Jeffs tried to call someone on the phone, and the phone made a strange sound. It rang and gave a busy signal simultaneously. Jeffs ran and got a tape recorder. He's a composer, and what he heard in that sound was music. Simon Jeffs is happiest when music just seems to spring forth from somewhere unexpected and present itself to him. He has a sophisticated musical sense that he uses to make very simple music. This music is played on several records by an odd ensemble called the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Much of it is sweet, uplifting music with some unusual textures and instruments. Jeffs sometimes describes it as folk songs from a kind of universal human culture. Sometimes he just calls it music from home.
7: What you're really doing is looking inward, and it's a relaxed, quiet place, I suppose, and that's what's behind this idea of music from home. Describe the place a little more. It's a relaxed, quiet place. Um, with well, the heart, really. Home is where the heart is at its most open, and um, it's not feeling vulnerable or threatened by the outside world, and so it's sort of flowers. <music>
3: So many of your songs have this real kind of joyousness from that place of home. Is that what your home is like, that, that joyousness? Or is that more what you'd like it to be like? Or what it is like in, in certain quiet moments?
7: It's, it's, it's what it's like on a good day.
3: You know? <laughs> Let me ask you about one thing that might be a little bit petty. You have three songs on your different albums which have the word uh, yodel Mm. in the title. Mm. Let's play one of those right now. Let's play Prelude and Yodel. So even when I hear it, I wonder, in what sense you're using the word yodel? What do you mean by the word? Why do you apply that word to this song and to the other songs <clears throat> where you use the word yodel? Well, it's actually very
7: specific. It's to, based on this guitar sound that's just coming up now. Listen. That particular guitar technique, boom, 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 that's hmm, I call that yodeling, because what you do is you pluck the string, and then you hammer your finger down on it so the two, no, to make two different sounds and in yodelling when people yodel what they do is they go from a kind of lower lower sound to a higher sound I forgot what the name, name for it is but there's a, a, dif- a different kind of harmonic content or something to a the two different colour can- so, so and that's what a yodel is and so I've got this developed this obsessive technique on the guitar which I call yodelling and um, th- that's that's why there's so many yodel pieces And it's just that little. It's that. That. The rest of it is the prelude? The rest is the prelude, exactly. (laughs) It's all self-explanatory,
3: really. Okay. I'd like to talk about the simplicity of a lot of the music. Some musicians, I think, would create a melody like the song Paul's Dance. Mm. And they would say, well, um, I could make something of this, but what's here so far, it's a, it's a sketch, it's not yeah, a song. Do yeah. um, you, you see your definition of what a song is as being different from the conventional
7: idea? Um, I've got a very strong sense when I'm writing these pieces. I've got a very strong sense of how long the piece is and that I make them exactly how long they are. And to extend them beyond that would be to move into the realm of the thinker and artifice. You'd start, you'd start to interfere with something which is completely natural in its uh, the way it's come.
3: Well, I mean, as a listener, the feeling that one gets is that all the parts of it are apparent. In a way, it's like music laid bare.
7: Mm. Yes, and there's never an an extra note. There's never one note too
3: many. And there's never one note too few. Simon Jeffs, composer and head of the Penguin Cafe Orchestra.
1: Of the July 1988 experience. I'm Carrie Thompson, and you're listening to Playback.